Hi, this is Ananda, president of the Hare Krishna community near Washington, D.C. What follows is a Sunday talk recorded at our temple. Every Sunday we invite the public for meditation, a talk, and a vegetarian lunch. We'd love for you to join us. More information is available at isconofdc.org. That's I-S-K-C-O-N of dc.org. Thanks, and I hope you enjoy the talk. All right, so we, we're, um, this morning talk, uh, it's really good to know everybody's name, by the way, so. Uh, creates, yeah, we'll still forget, we'll, but now we feel comfortable chatting, we can say, well, what was your name again? Oh, yeah, we'll remind each other. <laughs> What's Jabba Joe? And John Smith is easy to remember. <laughs> Everybody else is a problem. <laughs> Uh, anyway, okay, so the book we we talk about every morning, uh, we have many, many uh, old and beautiful spiritual books that we study from Sanskrit language, um, which are the traditional books of spiritual knowledge of India. But among them, uh, one is most important, and that is this book called the Srimad Bhagavatam. And uh, this is one volume out of 30 volumes. It's a very, very large book. And this is just the first volume of the book. Um, and in fact, this is the small print version. So it's a really um, a huge book, more than 100,000 verses. And each verse has some explanation written to it. So it's um, really, um, I guess, a, an epic um it's the main edifice of our of our spiritual learning. And then before that book comes this book, the Bhagavad Gita, which is probably more famous. Almost everybody has heard of the Bhagavad Gita, which is considered there's a, this is a complete in one volume, and this is considered the ABC of spiritual knowledge of India. And once you're familiar with the basic ideas in this book. Then we move on to the Srimad Bhagavatam. So um, before we uh, talk about Srimad Bhagavatam every morning, we usually sing a song um, about Krishna. And this song is called Jai Radha Madhava. And it describes how Krishna is uh, acting and appearing in the spiritual world amongst his most beloved associates. So Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabi Hari Jayara Madhava Kunjabi Gopi Janna Balava Girivaradhari Gopi Janna Balava Girivaradhari 
Sudanandana Braja Janna Ranjana Sudanandana Braja Janna Ranjana Yasodanandana Braja Janna Ranjana Yamuna Tira Bannachari Munatira Bannachari Jamunatira Bannachari Bannachari Jayaradhamadhava Kunjabihari Gopi Janna Pallava Giribarhari Janna Giribarhari Yasodanandana Braja Janna Ranjana Yamuna Tira Banachari I'll talk a little bit about this song because um, this song is the uh, subject matter of the Srimad Bhagavatam. Uh, I should say it's the condensed essence Right, of the entire Srimad Bhagavatam condensed into four lines um, singing about uh, Krishna in the spiritual world and how he is and how his devotees are there. Um, Srimad Bhagavatam talks about many, many, many other things. talks about uh, the whole material world. What is it? It talks about... Um, Krishna himself and his original nature and the spiritual world. It talks about um, the living entities uh, who come to this material world and how they become separated from Krishna and how their consciousness becomes contaminated by the material atmosphere which causes their suffering. And then it talks about the journey of the great saints and sages who become purified in their consciousness and return to the association of Krishna in the spiritual world. Um, and in the course of telling all these subjects, there, there's philosophical sections that are very analytical. There's uh, poetic sections that are beautiful and emotional descriptions of Krishna. And... Um, there's allegories and there are stories told about the great saints and sages. So Srimad Bhagavatam 
covers a wide gamut um, of styles and vehicles for explaining all the information about um, the spiritual life of a devotee and about the spiritual world itself and about Krishna himself. So it's all condensed down into this one little song. Jai Radha Madhava Kunja Bihari Gopi Jana Balava Giri Hari Yasodanandana Braja Jana Ranjana Jamuna Tira Banachari. This is a description of Krishna himself. Uh, the goal of all of our study is to reach Krishna and to become uh, an associate of Krishna, an actual associate of God in the mood of um, loving service. So this song is describing the original nature of Krishna, the original nature of Krishna. The first thing, it says, Jaya Radha Madhava Kunjabihari. says that Krishna... He is um, the beloved of Radharani and he loves Radharani. Radharani is Krishna's spiritual energy and uh, she gives blessings to all the devotees. She is the, um, the greatest servant of God, the greatest servant of Krishna. And uh, she gives blessings to all of us that we can also become servants of Krishna. So, in our very first line about Krishna, we mention her, Jai Radha Mahadava, Kunjabihari. Kunjabihari means Krishna is uh, living in the forest, in the spiritual world, the spiritual forest of Vrindavan. And uh, there, he, uh, he exchanges love and affection with all of his servants, with all of his devotees. Then the next line, Gopi Jana Ballava Girivarid Hari. Gopi Jana Ballava means that Krishna in the spiritual world, his only interest is to please all of his servants. Krishna is so much absorbed in love of all of his servants that he only cares about them. He only wants to make them happy. That's Krishna's only motivation. How can I make you happy? How can I serve you? The Supreme Personality of God is saying. And all of the residents of the spiritual world, called as Vrindavan, which in the spiritual world is is manifest as a simple village um, where all the residents there who are unlimited in number uh, simply love Krishna and their only business is how to please Krishna. That Krishna should be happy, that Krishna should be um, warm, that Krishna should have enough to eat, that Krishna should um, be worshipped, that Krishna should be befriended. Um, although Krishna is the Supreme Person and he has no needs, Still, he's agreeable if anyone wants to serve him. And uh, there are five, well, yeah, there are five ways of serving Krishna, five moods of serving Krishna in the spiritual world called as Vrindavan. 
and those are uh, in Sanskrit called Shanta, Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, and Madhurya. So um, they're translated as the mood of peaceful reverence, simply appreciation. Oh, how great and how beautiful is Krishna. Um, then uh, Dasya, the next one, active service. How can I serve Krishna? Then the next one is um, um, uh, Sakya, uh, is to actually be a friend of Krishna. Like in, in the spiritual world of Goloka Vrindavan, Krishna goes out every day in the village to the fields and he tends the cows. And of course, the cows are also great saints and sages. And uh, the birds and bees that flutter around him are great saints and sages and yogis who have practiced for millions of lives and have attained to the uh, status of being a direct associate and servant of God. Um, so they're not ordinary birds and bees and blades of grass. It's said that in the spiritual world, even the stones are worshiping Krishna. Um, so uh, this is a very beautiful relationship. And so the cowherd boys, uh, these great yogis who have become the qualified to be the cowherd boyfriends of Krishna, they go out with Krishna every day and they simply play games with him in the fields. And they, they know nothing but Krishna. They just love Krishna. Then Vatsalya, the next one, is to become an actual parent of Krishna or an aunt or an uncle and to think of Krishna as your dependent, right? Someone who needs you and uh, you become absorbed in taking care of Krishna. Although Krishna is the supreme person, he has no needs, still, he's agreeable if you want to serve him, right? As Someone who takes care of him, he'll enter into that relationship with you and allow you to take care of him. And then the last one is Madhurya. Madhurya means sweetness or conjugal loving uh, affairs. Uh, just like in this material world, a boyfriend and girlfriend, um, they love each other. Um, but in the material world, that love is, is mixed or contaminated by selfishness. But in the spiritual world, um, Krishna and his cowherd girlfriends, they simply love each other in a way that is completely untouched by any kind of conception of material lust or desire. Um, what is manifest there is the greatest intimacy uh, of total self-sacrificing love. I only care about my beloved and my beloved only cares about me. So these are the five kinds of relationships with Krishna. And all of the residents of Vrindavan are absorbed in one of these relationships with Krishna. And they don't even care who Krishna is. They don't, they don't even care that he's God. They say, uh, he may be God or whatever it is he may be. I just love Krishna. I just love Krishna. And they have been these great yogis for billions of lifetimes and they have attained this level where the material consciousness can never touch them. They're completely absorbed in Krishna and they're completely satisfied. So they think, oh, maybe he does all these amazing things. Maybe he's a demigod of, of some kind. 
Um, because, you know, in the material world, uh, people are accustomed to thinking of different kinds of gods as very powerful demigods. And of course, they are powerful within the material world. But uh, people don't know that Krishna is above all of them. Right? The supreme personality of Godhead, uh, the cause of all causes, and the Lord and Master of all hearts is above all conceptions of gods or demons or demigods or anything that we may think of in this material world. So the residents of Vrindavan simply love Krishna and Krishna simply loves the residents of Vrindavan. So that that is the spiritual world uh, that is our aspiration to attain. So when we... Um, chant Hare Krishna and we do our meditation on beads. Um, we might think of many things, but ultimately what's happening in our hearts is by saying Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, that spiritual world of Vrindavan is gradually unfolding in our hearts, that we become absorbed in this transcendental love of Krishna and that this spiritual world of Vrindavan becomes revealed to us. We um, have a, a desire that grows within our heart to enter into one of these relationships with Krishna and Krishna gradually um, responds to us right, and purifies our consciousness. And we slowly become freed from the influence of matter and all you know, negative mundane influences and uh, we gradually become able, uh, even while we're living in this world, we become able to become devotees of Krishna, not just in our actions or religious behaviors or moral rules or codes, but actually within our heart. That world of Vrindavan opens up within our heart. So Gopi Jana Balava, this is this word is packed with meaning, right? The love this just simply describes the loving relationships between Krishna and his servants in the spiritual world. Then Giri Hari. It says that Krishna he always wants to protect his servants. So uh, in Vrindavan, uh, one day it said that uh, the residents of Vrindavan were preparing to worship the demigod Indra, um, which is, you know, kind of one of the normal ritualistic activities. And uh, Krishna told them, don't worship Indra. Um, instead, just worship this hill of Govardhan, um, uh, which is my favorite place. And uh, the hill of Govardhan has flowers and trees and streams and... Um, hives of honeybees and cows that are giving milk and uh, orchards that are giving fruit. And it gives you everything you need. So why should you worship Indra? Instead, worship Govardhan. And because all the residents of Vrindavan simply love Krishna, they said, all right, we'll do as you suggest. So they worshiped Govardhan very beautifully. But the demigod Indra became very angry uh, at being neglected and so he sent uh, huge clouds that poured torrents of rain um, 
not just torrents of rain, but actual inundation, vast, you know, vast rain. Um, and uh, for seven days and seven nights, it rained and rained and rained, and the residents of Vrindavan were terrified, and they went to Krishna. Krishna, save us. Even though he was a little boy, how old was Krishna at that time? Seven years old? Um, so he's acting like a little child, although he's God, but he's acting like a little child, but when it's necessary, he manifests himself as God. So he said, I'll protect you. And with his little finger of his left hand, he picked up the entire mountain, Govardhan, and lifted it over his head and invited all of the residents of Vrindavan, here, come and stand under this hill, under this mountain. And all of his parents and friends and well-wishers were worried. Oh my God, he's such a little boy. He's going to drop the hill. Look at it, it's just perched on his little finger. But because he's the Supreme Personality of Godhead, of course, there was no danger. But all of his friends, they took their cowherd staffs and they tried to help him hold up the hill. right? Um, because they're just concerned that Krishna should be protected. And Krishna is just concerned that they should be protected. So Krishna is showing here that he's the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Although he enters into all of these intimate relationships with his devotees, he remains the Supreme Person at all times, the infinite, uh, all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-benevolent Supreme Person. So uh, for him to stop the disturbance of the angry demigod Indra was simply the business of his little finger of his left hand. And so when Indra saw this, he said, oh, okay. He became humbled. He realized his mistake. So he got down to his knees before Krishna. And because Indra, of course, is also a devotee, a servant. But the servants of Krishna, the demigods, they sometimes forget themselves because they're very very powerful and sometimes they become a little proud. Um, so he became chastised and uh, he realized that, oh, these residents of Vrindavan, they're actually greater than me. Um, so uh, that that pastime is symbolized by this word, Giri Bharadhari. Giri means the, the mountain called Govardhan, and Bharadhari means he's holding it up in his hand. Giri Bharadhari. Then, uh, um, Yasoda Nandana, Brajajana Ranjana. Yasoda Nandana means that uh, he gives happiness to his mother. <laughs> right? Uh, there is his, Krishna has a mother. Right? Although God has no mother or father. Right? He's the origin of all living beings. Still, he lets someone enter into that relationship as mother and father. Why? Because everyone worships him and he gets bored. Everyone is worshipping me all the time. Oh God, you're so great. You're the most powerful and holy. We bow down to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody, somebody come and chastise me and tell me I'm being, you know, uh, naughty or whatever. Because why, why does God want that? It's described in this book, Srimad Bhagavatam. It's because this intimacy creates a, a greater feeling of love a greater feeling of affection. So that, that affection is the basis of spiritual existence in the spiritual world. And so all of these different relationships, they increase this affection. And the 
the most sweet and relishable relationships both to Krishna himself and for his servants are those relationships of intimacy. So God, he wants someone to chastise him. And the devotees know this and some one devotee says, all right, I'll take the responsibility. I'll become your father. I'll become your mother. I'll chastise you. Um, so there are many beautiful stories about uh, Mother Yasoda, the mother of Krishna, um, you know, taking care of him as a little child. And yes? Oh, the picture is there. This picture here. This is a famous illustration. One day, little Krishna was playing with his friends and um, just goofing around and he ate some dirt, as children might do. And one of his friends ran to Mother Yasoda and said, Mother Yasoda, Mother Yasoda, look what Krishna is doing. He's eating dirt. And Mother Yasoda was worried about him and took him on his lap and says, have you eaten dirt, Krishna? And he says, no, Mama, I, I didn't eat any dirt. And <laughs> Mother Yasoda says, let me see in your mouth. So she opens his mouth and looks inside and she sees what is described... Uh, above his, above her head there, she sees all the galaxies, all the unlimited universes, uh, everything within Krishna's mouth, and she's stunned and bewildered. And she even sees herself with Krishna on her lap, <laughs> within Krishna's mouth. And her, her mind becomes completely fogged and boggled. And she starts thinking, is my... Is my child Krishna? Is he a demigod or is he the supreme personality of Godhead? Who is he? And then her mood of intimacy, of loving affection for Krishna becomes disturbed for a moment by this awareness. And so Krishna extends his mystic power of loving affection over her and causes her to forget. And she simply becomes overwhelmed with waves of intense loving affection for Krishna. And she completely forgets. She says, oh, Krishna, I love you, you know, my little child, right? And she forgets what she just saw. Um, so this is the meaning of Vrindavan, right? Yasoda Nandana. This love. And then Yasodhanandana Brajajana Ranjana. Brajajana means all the residents of Vrindavan. Ranjana means who gives pleasure to them. So his relationship is similar with all the other residents of the spiritual world, whether they're in the relationship of friendship or parental affection. Uh, and Krishna in the spiritual world, because he's God, he can have millions and billions, an infinite number of parents right? All in this same mood with him. And he's capable to interact with all of them because he's also the unlimited supreme person. So it's not like, oh, Krishna, one person gets to be, you know, the mother and father and nobody else can have that feeling, right? Many, because Krishna is unlimited. So he can interact with everyone. Uh, and so he similarly interacts with all of the different residents of the spiritual world. This is the meaning of Rajajanaranjana. And then Jamuna Tira Banachari is the last line. It means that, you know, in the spiritual world, there are many spiritual planets. 
where God resides in majesty and splendor. But in the topmost spiritual planet of Vrindavan, he simply wanders on the bank of the beautiful river Jamuna um, in the forest of Vrindavana. And he plays on his flute, Vanachari. Uh, Vanachari means someone who lives in the forest. Uh, so he he lives in the forest on the banks of the Jamuna River. He plays on a flute and he calls the hearts of all the residents of Vrindavan to him. Yeah, so that's that's the subject matter of Srimad Bhagavatam. Right? Like when you read Srimad Bhagavatam, you'll read about you know the journeys of the saints and description of what is this material world, how do living entities become entangled in ignorance and forget themselves, and what is the process for going back to the spiritual world. But ultimately, after you read the first nine volumes of the book, or the nine cantos, you come to the tenth canto, where it simply describes this spiritual world. After you've read the whole book and you've understood everything about God and the living entities in the material world, now you're ready. Now you hear about the spiritual world itself. You hear about this intimacy of loving relationship between God and his devotees there. So that's Srimad Bhagavatam. Hmm. Um, so our spiritual master is Divine Grace A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Prabhupada, whose statue we see on this throne here. Um, his statue is there uh, for us to remember him and give him honor. And he also came physically in 1976 and sat here. Um, at, for eight days he was here um, in July of 1976. Um, so he spoke while sitting on that chair to everyone. Um, and so recently I heard him give this description, which I just repeated to you, uh, of this song. He sang this song and then gave this description that this is the original nature of Krishna. Right? That Krishna just loves the residents of Vrindavan and they love him. And that's that's all there is. So our whole purpose of our spiritual life is to reawaken this um, original spiritual nature of our love for Krishna and uh, to, to develop this heart's attraction for Krishna. Now, in our material consciousness, um, we're mostly absorbed in our bodily needs or our mental needs or our egoistic needs, something self-centered. And this is the cause of our suffering. And as we reawaken our spiritual consciousness by all of our spiritual practices, especially by chanting Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, then our attraction for our mundane needs diminishes, recedes, and our attraction for our spiritual needs uh, and for Krishna himself grows and grows and grows and gradually dominates our hearts and dominates our, our daily existence until uh, as we achieve success, it becomes the only thing that we think about. And um, that 
that is what we see as the purpose of our lives, is to grow that devotion. Um, the analogy is given is that it's like a plant and um, a, a little seedling, and every one of us has it right, by, by our very nature. And if you water it, this seedling of our spiritual love for God, then it will gradually grow. So the water that we give it are our spiritual practices of chanting Hare Krishna and hearing about spiritual subjects from books like Srimad Bhagavatam, associating with devoted persons, saintly persons, and um, worshiping Krishna in the temple, and these various activities of Krishna consciousness that we do. Uh, and that seedling grows and it takes over our heart. And then we become yogis. Uh, a yogi in Bhagavad Gita is described as someone who is completely satisfied within themselves. And uh, as a lamp in a windless place never wavers. So the consciousness of a yogi is always completely peaceful and happy and satisfied and focused on Krishna. Uh, totally nurtured and undistracted from any other want or need, even in the midst of the greatest tragedy. Right? Because tragedies happen to us all, um, no matter who we are, uh, whether we're a prince or pauper. And uh, uh, and eventually every one of us has to face um, the end of our own material body, right? We have to face death, extremely distressing. So um, Krishna consciousness is um, a lifestyle of preparation ultimately for death, for becoming undisturbed uh, by death, like the lamp in the windless place. Hare Krishna. Um, yeah, so <laughs> after talking about that, you know, the, the other things that I wanted to talk about this morning um, seem a little bit um, insignificant. Um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you the, just the subjects that I wanted to talk about this morning. Um, I won't even talk about them. I wanted to talk about atoms um, and the subdivisions of atoms according to the Bhagavad conception. Um, I wanted to talk about us living entities in the material world and the concept of being beyond the point of no return sometimes, right? How, how we get connected with different kinds of suffering and different kinds of ignorance and how it becomes uh, very difficult for us to get free from those things. Um, so, the, yeah, those are the other two main subjects. But um, since we've talked about the spiritual world itself, um, that's really more important. Um, so, yeah, if there's any comments or questions about Vrindavan. Uh, oh, oh, I'll tell you something interesting, just to maybe start off more questions. That... Um, uh, I heard Srila Prabhupada describe. Um, often we, we see descriptions of Krishna as a little child, right? That he's born, he, although he's unborn, he's the supreme person, right? He's never born. He's eternally existing. He's eternally the supreme person. He appears to take birth as a child, grow up, and 
um, have parents and friends. So how is that? Well, um, according to the Bhagavat, in the spiritual world of Goloka Vrindavan, um, Krishna is eternally there as a, a youth, a, a beautiful youth. And he engages in relationships with everyone in that way. But uh, he also comes to this material world and brings the entire spiritual world with him and appears uh, on different planets. In this case, he, he appears on the Earth planet uh, 5,000 years ago. He was here. And he manifests the spiritual world, this village of Vrindavan. And this happened to be in India. And so we think of India as the land of Krishna. Um, and he brings all of his devotees with him. And he takes, appears to take birth from a mother and father and engages in all these activities, lifting up the hill as a little child and uh, delighting his mother and father and uh, eating dirt and playing with his coward friends and, and growing up. Uh, so, But that only happens when Krishna comes to this material world. Right? Uh, actually, in the, in the spiritual world, is my understanding from my study, that there's the childhood pastimes of Krishna are, are manifest particularly here in the material world and that in the, in the spiritual world also, um, the famous activities of Krishna where he, he kills various demons, that only happens here in the material world. In the spiritual world, actually, there are no, no demons. There's no Hiranyakashipu. There's no Kangsa. But the, the living entity, the devotees there, they have a feeling, oh, there might be Kangsa. There might be a demon. Well, they love Krishna, though. So they're thinking, they're thinking there might be a, a demon. There might be some inimical, hostile person Let's all go to Krishna and ask him to protect us, right? Because they're, they only think of Krishna. And even though Krishna is this small little child, they'll say, oh, let's, let's see what Krishna says about this. Krishna will protect us. There, there are so many um, apparent contradictions about Krishna's spiritual existence in the spiritual world. But we only see those contradictions um, because of our mundane perspective. In the spiritual world, there are no limitations and everything is possible. Okay, so I'm going to be quiet now for a while. And uh, if anybody has just any comments or descriptions of Goloka Vrindavan or questions about how can any of this possibly be true, um, or, yeah. Well, a lot of subjects there. Uh, eternal time. Yeah, and as they get bigger... You're lamenting the loss of each day because each day is so charmingly sweet, right? That oh, this, right? <laughs> Being nostalgic about the past. Oh, when you were a baby. Now you're two. You're an old man. <laughs> well, time takes away all things in the material world. Uh, and why is that? It's because we're living in the world of matter. 
And uh, although we are, every one of us, eternal spiritual souls, in quality one with the Lord, uh, nevertheless, for the time being, we are currently embodied and we're stuck um, in a world of temporary things, a world of matter where the forms um, are not eternal and where we can't hold on to anything. We can't. And this is a source of unimaginable grief. Unimaginable grief. And um, all of us, you know, at some time will experience or have experienced so many kinds of this intense grief. And sometimes it's really unbearable. I mean, uh, and of course, we, we have the death of our loved ones, um, sometimes even the death of our own children. Um, and our own death, uh, which means uh, giving up everything that we ever held dear. So the problem is, according to the Bhagavatam, the problem is that we are in illusion. And what is the illusion? The illusion we is we are spiritual entities, eternal. But at the present moment, we are thinking, I am this material body. It comes down to that. It's super simple and essential. One is born as a little baby, but then the body changes. And then one is something else. Then the body changes again. One is something else. Then one is a, a young man or woman. Then one is a, a you know, family man or woman. Then one is... Uh, you know, getting old, and then one is really old, and then one is a, a dying man or woman. Um, so the body always changes. Uh, the material constituents of the body are changing. The atoms that make up the body are being changed in and out. <laughs> There's an old problem in philosophy called the ship of Theseus. Has anybody heard of this? Um, yeah. In philosophy... The, the problem of the ship of Theseus is, uh, it, yeah, there there's a, a ship and um, Theseus sets out to sea and uh, he goes on a long journey and uh, as the years pass, various parts of the ship have to be uh, replaced. One of the, the mast breaks and so they get a new mast and some of the planks of the deck wear out and they have to replace those and then the the uh, the hull, hull has to be replaced and uh, the different parts of the ship gradually has to be replaced until finally uh, the ship is there but none of the original pieces remain not even one so the the question that philosophers ask is it still the ship <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's a very famous and popular philosophy problem. People, you know, sophomore philosophy students love to debate it, whether it's the original ship or whether it's something different now. Um, but we say, no, it's no longer the same ship. It's changed. Similarly, our body, the atoms are being constantly changed out, but we remain the same. Mundane uh, thinkers say that the 
your consciousness is simply produced by you know, the arrangement of, of the atoms. But we say, no, no, no. Bhagavad Gita says, no, no, no. You are an eternal soul. You are remaining within this body. The body is changing around you, but you remain unchanged. Because your your mind is absorbed in your bodily existence, you feel that you are changing, but you're not changing at all. So you feel that you're losing your body, but your body was never yours, and it was never you. You feel that you're losing your children, but they were never yours, and they were never actually your children. They are all eternal souls and you are also an eternal soul and um, this relationship that we have with Krishna is our reality and because we we have this real affection for for our bodily friendships and loves and relationships um Time and the passage of time makes this world extraordinarily painful. Just cruel. Um, In our Bhagavad Gita, Krishna explains, Krishna explains that uh, from the highest planet, Abrahma, Bhuvana, Loka, Mrityu, Samsara, Vartamani, that the highest planet in the in the material world, all the way down to the lowest hells. Every planet, no matter how good or bad it may be, every planet is a place of birth and death and suffering. No matter how good you have it, this world is a place of death. Therefore, spiritual wisdom means get out. So, um, one of our books is called Ishopanishad. And the the recommendation in Ishopanishad is that every devotee has to cultivate the the path of material well-being and the path of spiritual well-being simultaneously. Right? Um, because we have these bodily relationships and we have these bodies and um, you can't simply, you know, say I'm a soul, not going to think about anything, la, 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 la. (laughs) You have all kinds of obligations and, you know, our material existence is forced upon us. So we have to eat, we have to take care of our loved ones and fulfill all our obligations. We even have to earn money. Um, uh, But so that's called the culture of nations, culture of darkness. Um, but we have to do it. And side, side by side, we have to cultivate what is called the culture of light, the culture of knowledge. And that is uh, reawakening your spiritual consciousness. So you have to do them side by side. Right? You can't just artificially jump into saying, okay, you know, today I'm going to be spiritually realized. And, you know, I'm perfect, so, you know, om. And uh, you'll find yourself embarrassed, right? Time is running. One minute. Oh, Oh, yeah, the curtains are going to open, and we're going to see Krishna. Time. Time is taking (laughs) taking away. 
Um, yeah, so sorry we didn't entertain more questions. So many subjects. The, uh, yeah, you have to balance everything. The other subject I wanted to talk about today actually was suffering and how suffering is beneficial for one who seeks wisdom because w suffering is an impetus to us to become more serious about our spiritual cultivation. Beneficial for those who seek wisdom, yeah.